Welcome to the Race and Redemption Podcast. We're here to help white Christians move from questions to change. This is my friend Susan. She brings her whole heart to this conversation. She has a wealth of experience in cross-cultural relationships in her own family and in her community. And she marries that with the truth of scripture about race and redemption. And this is my friend Brooke. She has been researching these topics for years within the church, and she's bringing new information that's factual, accurate, and nonpartisan. And that's what the church needs right now. Michelle Sanchez is the Senior Discipleship and Evangelism Leader of the Evangelical Covenant Church, a vibrant multi-ethnic denomination of more than 875 congregations. She has also served on the advisory board of the Institute for Bible Reading, ministered to international students with crew in New York City, and been part of the Lausanne Movement. Michelle earned two master's degrees from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, studied spiritual direction at Boston College, and studied the life and times of Jesus at Jerusalem University College. Prior to her ministry career, she majored in international business at NYU, then worked as an investment banker with Goldman Sachs. Michelle is a regular columnist with Outreach Magazine and frequent conference speaker. She and her family live in Chicago. Welcome, Michelle. Brooke, I am so happy to be here today. Thank you for the invitation. I so enjoyed meeting you at the Mosaics Multi-Ethnic Church Conference this fall. This was a gathering of about a thousand or so church leaders who are in diverse spaces and diverse churches. And we talked about data and how the church needs to address the issues of race and diversity as discipleship. And I was really excited to hear about your new book called Color Courageous Discipleship. Tell us how the book came to be. Wow, the story of how I started writing these books. I will tell you, I never in a million years thought I would write a book about race. Because for me, race was in a different category than discipleship, quite frankly. I mean, even in my denomination, the race work that typically happens is in a different department. And so, you know, I literally am like, well, you know, my lane is things like Bible reading and prayer and worship and spiritual formation, right? And those things are not directly connected to race. But my world was completely transformed in 2020, as were many people's. In the midst of our racial upheaval in 2020, as well as the complete shutdown of travel, which sort of forced me to be still and listen to the Lord, I began asking some new questions. What was the relevance of all of my discipleship passion for the moment that we are in? What are the clear connections between following Jesus and resisting racism? I mean, aren't these things connected? Why do we typically put them in different lanes? Moreover, why do we still have so many racial challenges in places where there are plenty of so-called Christian disciples? Why isn't race a chapter in our Discipleship 101 classes and books. So one of the things that the Lord really began to reveal to me, and I think increasingly to other people is, listen, the problem of racism absolutely is about justice. But I believe even more fundamentally, it's about discipleship and 
That is our problem in the church today. Our discipleship really hasn't been whole. And so we have not been producing disciples who understand how and the need to dismantle racism in the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, discipleship around race in churches is definitely a gap. And I know that as a white person, but I was kind of surprised to hear that this was something that you as a person of color also had to learn. I really appreciated reading and hearing about your perspective and experience. And you explain in the book that we have already been racially discipled. What does that mean? Here is something that has been a massive epiphany for me, that when it comes to race, we actually don't need to be discipled as much as we need to be re-discipled. Okay, we need to be discipled again. Here's the idea behind that. You know, the ancient Greeks used to think about people as tabula rasa or blank slates. And so, you know, when we think about any new subject of learning, we say, okay, uh, I'm just going to start from zero here. I'm objective, clear-eyed, and I'm ready to be filled up with knowledge, you know? So when it comes to race, just tell me what I need to know and we'll move forward. But unfortunately... This blank slate concept is more of a pagan idea than a Christian idea. What we see in the scriptures over and over is that we actually have a human nature that has been tainted by the fall, that has been tainted by sin. And what that means is that we are inclined from error from the beginning. And what's more, our minds are shaped by the sinful patterns of a broken world. If you've been around for any amount of time, your mind and your heart has been shaped by the sinful patterns of the world, even if you don't know that. And that's why the scriptures say, do not conform to the pattern of the world. You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind or with Jesus. He didn't just say, hey, believe. He said, repent and believe. There's something you need to change first or take off first before you can really move forward in Christ. And so this is what I mean when I say, listen, when it comes to race, we've already been racially discipled. Each one of us has already been shaped and formed in many ways by the racial dynamics of our society. We've been subtly conditioned by the culture, the practices, the perspectives of the family that we were reared in, the place we grew up, even the era that we find ourselves in. So listen, the question is not, have you been racially discipled, but how have you been racially discipled? And to really identify those things so that you can take it off and choose something new. Be re-discipled when it comes to race. That's so good, Michelle. You share a good deal of your own journey in this book, including your own awakening to the impact that racial discipleship had on your life. Would you share with us some of your own story? Yes. Oh my goodness. So Brooke, you already mentioned that in some ways it's surprising to hear me talk about my own blind spots and growth when it comes to racial discipleship. And that is because obviously there's a podcast, people can't see me. I am African-American and, you know, obviously I've always been, but even in my case, the Lord really had to shake up my world. And so let me say a little bit about that. I, along with many others, I've been part of the colorblind generation. My parents, the way that they raised me, they're part of families that moved up from the South and places where they had experienced racial oppression. And they 
wanted to leave it behind and just, you know, move forward and not talk about race all the time. And I grew up, my favorite show to watch on TV was The Cosby Show. And my idol was Claire Huxtable. And I was going to be like Claire Huxtable. Rightly Um, so. She She is awesome. Yes. She had beautiful children. She had a lovely brownstone, you know, in New York City. She was a lawyer and she had great hair all the time. And I said, I am going to be Claire Huxtable. And all I need to do to get there is to work really hard, right? Work hard, try hard, do well in life. And, you know, we don't need to be talking about race. And so, you know, really, that is the generation that I have been a part of. And, you know, my family did the best they could for me, and I'm grateful. But over the course of my life, over the course of time, the Lord began to help me to see, hey, you've been given some opportunities. You've been very successful. However, you are still the exception to the rule. And this, Brooke, I think is key to understand that in our time, there are, of course, many people of color who have succeeded, who, you know, by the opportunities they've been given or sometimes just luck, have really, really done well in the world. We've had a Black president. My goodness. You know, it's like, why are we still talking about race? Black people, people of color, they can do anything, right? In some ways, that's true. However, we are still talking about race because there still is massive inequity. In many ways, I was able to escape that, but God has been opening my eyes. No, 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 you're the exception to the rule. And in the book, I talk about, you know, after college, I went to work at Goldman Sachs for a little while. I was an investment banker. And again, you know, it was like, wow, I've reached the pinnacle of the banking and financial world. We can all do anything. And I remember I signed up to volunteer with Junior Achievement, teach economics for a day at an inner city school in New York City. And I had the opportunity to grow up in a well-resourced, predominantly white school district. But I went to this school and it was in a predominantly brown school district. And I just remember walking in and being absolutely shocked at what I saw. I could not believe I was at a school in the United States the dilapidated facilities, it was dark. The resources were clearly substandard. There were children sitting in the hallway trying to listen to me in the classroom, massively overcrowded. I can't even begin to describe. I was so shocked. Like, how can you expect anyone to learn in these conditions? And I began to understand, listen, if I had grown up in a school like this one, it's very unlikely that I would have ended up who I am and what I am today. And education is one of many areas where we still see massive inequity. There are billions more dollars poured into predominantly white school districts than into predominantly brown ones. And it produces ongoing inequity. So listen, I myself had to make the move from colorblind to color courageous, from understanding colorblindness has its limitations When we are colorblind, we tend to be blind to the ongoing inequity of our world. This is true for people of all races. Even people of color sometimes need to be awakened to the ongoing inequities in our world. I appreciate you calling that out. We all want to be discipled and thinking about what you have to put on. But let's also talk about what you have to put off. You give an important perspective on addressing sin. In your book, you got really specific about sin, looking at the four levels of creation and therefore the four levels of sin. Can you explain that to us and how that model works? 
So I think for disciples, it is extremely helpful to understand something that author George Yancey has written. He says, the problem of racism is the problem of sin. It's not just some sort of, you know, malfunction in society. It actually, at its deepest level, is the problem of sin. And when we understand that, it puts things in perspective. So I like to think about sin at different levels. When we look at the way that the world has fallen, that the way that sin has impacted all of creation, we recognize, oh, wow, creation has been broken by sin on many levels, not just the individual level. And see, this is something I think especially important for evangelical disciples to understand of whom I identify. We traditionally, you know, are very clear on individual sin and the reality that we need to be reconciled to God as individuals. And we need to experience personal transformation. And I agree that is absolutely critical. It's key. Becoming disciples of Christ, being reconciled individually, having our sin washed away by the blood of Jesus as individuals is foundational to me and always will be. The problem is when we sort of stop there and don't see that there are multiple other levels at which the world has been broken by sin and needs to experience the redemption of God. By the way, I love the name of your podcast, Brooke, Race and Redemption. We need the redemption of God on every level. And so what do I mean by that? In the book, I talk about how we can envision creation as four different levels or four different concentric circles, if you can imagine that. And so at the heart, we have the individual level, and then there's the interpersonal level, then systemic and then cosmic. Now on each one of these levels, creation has fallen and been broken. And on each of these levels, we need the reconciliation of Jesus Christ. We need Jesus to come in and make things whole again. So we've already talked about the individual level, and I am assuming many listening to this podcast would be familiar for the need for individual reconciliation with God and how Jesus helps us with that. Beyond that though, we need to pay close attention to the need for interpersonal reconciliation. And that means, yes, our interpersonal relationships have been broken, whether it's family, friendship, communities. We need interpersonal reconciliation, forgiveness on a relational level. Beyond that, we also need to pay attention to the fact that there is a systemic level that the institutions of our world, the systems, the policies, the organizations, all of these larger systems have also been impacted by the fall. Who leads systems? It's imperfect and broken people, right? And so imperfect and broken people will produce, whether intentionally or not, systems that are imperfect and broken. And many Christians have not understood that the need to look at the systemic level of creation and understand well, how has it been broken and what can we do as disciples of Christ to bring redemption. Then, of course, we have the cosmic level. And there's many things that I mean by that, but on I think the most important one is to understand that when it comes to race, to racism, racial inequality, this is not a battle of flesh and blood. That's what the enemy wants to do is come in, have us fight with each other and blame one another. That's not what it's about. 
This is a battle of powers and principalities. It is a spiritual battle at heart. And I believe we need to fight as much as we can for one another, for reconciliation in Christ together. Our enemy is the one that we need to be resisting, not one another. And so every single one of these levels is impacted by the fall and requires reconciliation and redemption in Jesus Christ. I love that. And I love that you call out powers and principalities, which is the biblical framing. So often we hear in society, people talking about diversity and racial justice as a power struggle. And that is true, but people often think, oh, that's just the language of the world. They use the word Marxism, like that's Marxism. But no, that's actually how the Bible describes the forces at work in our world. And we're given a clear mandate to fight against injustice from powers and principalities. And we are also called to the renewing of our minds, that we have to continually work on fighting sin with the renewing of our own minds. In this book, you invite Christians to be ambassadors of reconciliation. I love that term, Michelle. What does the Bible call us to do? And what might that look like in our own lives? Can you tell us some more about that? Oh my goodness, yes. So, you know, one of my favorite scriptures is Colossians 1, where it says, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is a beautiful, all-encompassing work of reconciliation that Jesus is doing. And he invites us to join this ministry of reconciliation on multiple levels. He invites us, as it says in Corinthians, to be ambassadors of holistic reconciliation. It is a beautiful joy and privilege to join Jesus in this work. And so what I like to make clear, we are not all called to exactly the same way of practicing the ministry of reconciliation. We all have different gifts and skills. We have different contexts, circles of influence. And so I think that it really involves discernment to understand, well, what is your ministry of reconciliation? What does that look like for you? How can you have the greatest impact? What is the Lord calling you to? And I talk in the book about one practice you can do called a power audit, power audit. So each one of us has power, right? There's no one of us that is powerless. However, I think that we each need greater awareness of what our power is. And so I say, it's important to take stock. What is the power that God has given you? And I talk about four different kinds of power and I put them in the shape of a cross. Imagine the four arms of the cross. And I say, think about your power in these four ways, privilege, position, platform, and prosperity. Okay, privilege, position, platform, and prosperity. We each have these. Every organization we're part of has these. And we can think about what that is. I also want to clarify again that every person of every race has these four kinds of power in one way or another. So let's take myself, for example, privilege. So typically, uh, the word privilege is not applied to a Black female woman. Um, But, you know, God has opened my eyes to, listen, when you were a little girl, your parents got to take advantage of a low-income housing program. They were able to move into a well-resourced area, 
and you got a stellar education in a predominantly white school district. Look, I did nothing to earn or to deserve the education that I have received. And so in so many ways, my education is privilege. How am I using the education that I have gained as a privilege, unearned privilege, to bless others? And the works that I have been doing these last couple of years in Color Courageous Discipleship, that has been one way that I've been leveraging the education I've been given as a privilege to others. Then you have position. Position changes throughout your life. We hold many different roles, but in each one of the roles that we have, parent, PTA member, board member, member of an interview committee, we are given a position. We have, as Hamilton puts it, like you want to be in the room where it happens. Position just means you get to be in certain rooms where things happen and you can use your voice to have impact. Platform basically just means who's listening to you, you know? publicly often, you know, what are the platforms that you have opportunity to speak and to be heard? And then prosperity is just, what are the resources you have? Time, talent, and treasure being the biggest ones. And again, these things shift and change throughout life, but we all have various forms of prosperity, right? So again, I'm talking about doing a power audit as a means to discern your ministry of reconciliation at any given time in your life looking at your privilege, your position, your platform, your prosperity, and how these things can be leveraged for the kingdom of God. Wow, that can be really applied to any area of life. I love that we're not just told to be ambassadors, but that we're invited into this work for the kingdom. And you're right. We are not only invited, but we are really urged (laughs) by our Lord to join the comprehensive, not just on one level, but the comprehensive ministry of reconciliation in our world. And honestly, it's a beautiful, beautiful opportunity that we're each given. I appreciate that you've devoted your ministry to this work through your book. And it's not just one book, but you have a teen and children's version of the book and some really fun activities to help kids engage in age-appropriate explorations of race and diversity. Your website, I noticed, had some things as well as in the book. As a parent of teens, Susan and I both have teens, and then also knowing a lot of our listeners have young children, I'm always looking out for ways that we can talk to our kids about diversity. So give us a few examples of what you have in there and maybe some wisdom on how to parent well in this space. So I'm so glad you asked because in my work, I, as a national discipleship leader, I also have been overseeing children's ministry and youth ministry. My brain is constantly thinking about how do we shape all ages? And I believe if we really want to see progress made when it comes to racial reconciliation in our world, dismantling racism, this is something that every generation has to tackle differently and in different ways. And the sooner we can begin, the better. So I also wrote a version of Color Courageous Discipleship for teenagers and then a picture book for kids, God's beloved community. I think the main thing that I would want to communicate, especially to parents, is that you have the greatest impact formationally on your children. And so we see this over and over in the research. You know, often we've been trained to sort of outsource training of our kids, like to experts, right? Okay, uh, find an expert to teach them piano, an expert to teach them soccer, uh, you know, all the things. But when it comes to spiritual formation, The Lord has put parents and caregivers as the primary ones to impact our kids, whether we like that or not. (laughs) But also, here's the encouraging word. 
You don't have to do it perfectly. Our kids will often learn the most and be formed and impacted the most as we are just genuine, authentic, talk about the journey as we are on it, admit mistakes that we have made and ways that we're struggling to change. Those are the things that our children see and absorb and seek to imitate over time. So essentially, when it comes to the journey of racial reconciliation, I say it's not about being perfect. It's about being on a journey, letting your children see you're on the journey and helping them to understand they don't have to be perfect either. They just need to be on the journey. That is such a relief. We don't have to have all the wisdom, just start talking. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us and telling us about your books. And I would encourage all our listeners to get a copy. You include not only the books themselves, but there's great reading in just the books, but also there's small group questions for each chapter and tons and tons of resources. The appendices on your books are very lengthy. So I know you did a lot of research for this book and some of those other references are a great resource as well. I really appreciate that. Amen. None of us are perfect. We're all on a journey and all we need to do is create space for the journey. Yes, that is wonderful. Thank you so much, Michelle. We really enjoyed having you on the show today. It has been a sheer joy. Thank you both. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you for joining us today for the Race and Redemption podcast. Make sure not to miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button on our page wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Instagram at Race and Redemption so you can join the conversation today. This episode was produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.